really like the handouts. Where are they? Um, come talk to me or mention it or what have you, uh, and I will go back to it. I don't want to... Um, I don't want to make them if nobody's going to use them. Does that make sense? Except for TJ. I have to make one for TJ every Sunday, I think. Uh, and there it is. Uh, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Uh, I pray that you would uh, uh, be with me as I unpack the word, as I as I dig into your text, as I try to share the gospel and um, show what it is that you would have for us today. Um, I pray that you'd be with the folks who are here, that they would hear your word, that they would hear from you, that they would uh, know uh, what you have for them. I pray that you would uh, move folks to be um, active and to take action in response to your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Many years ago, when I worked for the uh, children's home, Uh, I know there are 10 million stories that start with this. Uh, There was a brief period of time where I was an assistant basketball coach. (laughs) If you can't hear it online, there was a lot of laughter there. Uh, I I will tell you there are several reasons for that, Uh, not the least being that I'm athletically declined, um, but also because I don't know anything about basketball. And nobody had any illusions about the fact that I didn't know anything about basketball. Um, And in fact, uh, any of the students who were playing knew more about basketball than I did. But they needed an extra person there to kind of corral the kids because these are like impatient mental health kids, right? And um, I watched something happen over the course of this season that we had with them. Uh, And actually, I did it several times over several seasons. I saw a pattern where we'd start doing basketball And you would have um, every kid that came out was on the team. There was no discussion, right? And you had a bunch of these kids who came out to play and had, like, talent and had athletic ability and were fit and tall. And, you know, a lot of inner city kids that played basketball all the time when they weren't getting arrested. Anyway, um, but, but you had some real talent. And the crazy thing that happened was in the first few games of the season, Every time, the most talented kids quit. Every time. And there were a handful of reasons, um, not the least of which was they, uh, they didn't like being coached, right? You don't tell me what to do. I'm the best guy on the team, right? Or these guys aren't any good. I'm not going to play with them. Or... You know, or whatever reason, it always came down to a matter of pride. I don't want to play because I'm better than all of you. And the crazy thing was, these guys would go out and they play their games, and they lost every time. And the entire time I was associated with basketball at our at our um, program, we did not win a single game. And these kids who were sitting home doing nothing would make fun of the other kids. They'd come back and go, "Oh well, of course you lost. All you ever do is lose." Um, which I always thought was funny because the guy who's sitting home doing nothing should have the least amount to say about the guy who's out there playing, right? Um, but the idea with these guys over and over and over again was, I'm better than you, so I shouldn't have to. Or I'm better than you, so I'm not going to lower myself to, or whatever. As we dive into the text today, um, we're going we're gonna to be looking at, like, like, we're picking up an axe again. We're picking up where we left off, which was um, 
where uh, the Council of Jerusalem addressed the question of like different things that the Gentile believers in uh, Antioch and then uh, in the other churches in Galatia, what they had to do in order to be a part of the church, if they had to be circumcised, if they had to obey the law of Moses, if they had to do any of these things, like we, and, and so they had this meeting and they came up with some, some expectations. And this week we're going to be looking at the letter. And because it's a bit of a review, I wanted to focus on some of the outside issues and specifically the honor that's shown. Right? Because this is the Jerusalem church. I mean, this is like, like they didn't have a pope back then, right? I mean, I'm the, I, well, no, they didn't. They didn't have like, like it's not like the Catholic church the way it, it's organized today or whatever. They didn't have like designated, this is our hierarchy, these are our bishops, these are our cardinals or whatever. They didn't have any of that, and we don't have any of that, so whatever. Um, but these guys are the center of everything, right? James was literally the brother of Jesus. Right, like uh, uh, Peter, who was associated with this church and was at the Council of Jerusalem, was Peter, right? Like he was, he was, you know, one of the inner circle, the top three of the apostles, and these are guys who saw Jesus and traveled with him and learned with him, and they are in a position where they could do anything they want and say anything they want, right? Um, But in this world. The way that they engage with the Gentile believers, and these are Gentiles, mind you, like Jewish people would not eat meals with Gentiles because it made you unclean. You would not like uh, Caesarea by the Sea is an amazing uh, city still today. It's in ruins, but even then it's still kind of amazing. Um, You can go there still and like, but Jewish people didn't go there because you didn't go amongst the Gentiles. It made you unclean. The Jews were notoriously What's the right word for it? Um, Separate. And they kind of considered other folks to be less than them, right? Um, And some of that is driven by the law, like stay separate. But like also they would kind of look at the guys around them and say, well, you're just a Gentile, right? And there's this pride. Um, As we dive into the text, we're going to see where God begins to dismantle this in terms of the church. Um, The main point, right, the big main point here. The letter that they're sending and the actions of the Jerusalem church show tremendous honor, which is fostered by a desire for unity and harmony in the body. The big thing I want you to get out of this is when they dealt with this other church, when they dealt with each other, they did so in a way that would almost be excessive today, right? We don't go much for honor, right? But, you know, like if, the Queen of England were to eat at my house, I wouldn't serve her on paper plates. Right? Um, I, you know, when people come over, we generally try to clean up the house a little bit. We scrape off the top layer of of kid clutter because it would be kind of disrespectful to have somebody into the trash heap that is is our living room most days. Right? Anybody else do that? Honor in this culture is a huge deal. Whereas for us, honor is pretty low key. Back then, honor was everything. Honor and shame. Honor and shame. Their whole culture is centered around it. And so to dishonor someone was a big deal. And in fact, like Jesus touches on honor over and over and over again in his, uh, in his teachings. When he says things like, when you walk into a banquet, don't sit in the best place. Right. 
Because if somebody more important than you comes in, then they'll say, hey, you need to move. This guy's taking your spot. And that would be kind of embarrassing for us. In that culture, it would be reason to be disinherited. It would be reason to lose business partners. It would be losing face, and it would be humiliating at a, at a significant social level. Honor and the way that you treated the people around you was a huge, huge, huge deal. So, as we dive into Acts, this is going to be kind of a guiding thing here. By the way, before I dive into this, like one more thing about honor. Um, has it ever occurred, like it had never occurred to me until I read it last week, um, when Jesus was opposing the temple authorities, all they had to do to get rid of him was hire a guy to stab him in the back in the middle of a crowd. Right? Instead, they had him arrested, beaten, humiliated, tried, and crucified publicly. And in doing so, they took away his honor. They shamed him. And a lot of people made fun of Christians for that reason, because they served a God who was shamed, right? Who was brought low, who was humiliated. In that culture, it was everything. So as we dive in... um, Verse 22, this is Acts 15, 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders amongst the believers. Now, real quick, Silas is a short uh, version of a longer Jewish name. We're not going to dwell on him very much today. In the future, we're going to talk about Silas a lot because Silas is incredibly important, even though he's a name that we don't really hear very often. Now, they picked two guys to go along because Paul and Barnabas couldn't do it themselves. No, because they picked folks who were prominent leaders in the church to go down there and explain it. This is a little like um, when I worked at the home, there were times when the CEO would walk into the daily meetings, sit down with the staff and say, guys, you're doing a good job. We're really proud of you. Here are things that are coming up. Now, the CEO has like five layers of management between him and everybody else, right? But he would walk in and sit down, and by doing so, he honored us, right? The Queen of England does not sit down with ordinary people, right? In fact, I read a... uh, I read an interesting story. She came to the United States once many years ago, and she visited an uh, upper-lower-class home, and the person who was there hugged her, and all of England was scandalized because you don't touch the queen, right? Honor. It's, it's not honorable. It's not respectful. It's not this. It's not that. But here in the United States, we just don't care. But they sent two leaders down there to show them an extra modicum of respect. They're stepping down there to say... We, we appreciate you guys. We are on the same team. We are with you, and here we are. Mind you, they don't have to do this. All they really have to do is tell Paul and Barnabas to go tell those guys, right? But they didn't do that. They take the extra step. They show respect that in that culture would have been unmissable. Uh, not missable? Not... It would have been obvious and huge. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Um, There's a phrase there. Your brothers. 
Now, these are Jewish folks. Um, ancient Judaism, they tracked their family lineage, right? It's not a coincidence that when you read the beginning of the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, particularly Matthew, they have Jesus' lineage to David because you kept track of that stuff because you wanted to be able to prove that you were purely Jewish, right? And if you came from a better family, even better. Um, it was a huge deal. And Gentiles were not a part of the promise. They were not brothers because they were not descendants of Abraham. And so when they begin by saying, your brothers, they're raising the Gentiles up to their level. Right? Again, it, it took years to become Jewish. Like if you wanted to be a convert to being a Jew, like you would spend years and years discipling under someone and, like, before you were allowed to be circumcised, allowed to be circumcised. And, like, it, it was so difficult that, like, half of the Roman Empire wanted to be Jewish. And they're like, yeah, it's just too much work. And so there was a whole class of people called God-fearers. And they turn up everywhere in the New Testament because they are everywhere. But they weren't able to do the work to become brothers. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know you're following all our laws. I know you're given to our church. I know you're attending. You're not a member. What? We're not even going to let you do the horrible thing to become a member. You've got to work a little harder. These guys are being elevated. The representatives they chose, and we'll learn a little more about them next week or in future weeks, but like in particular, you know, uh, toward the end of the sermon, we're going to talk about them again. But the fact that they chose the representatives they did and the letter itself are specifically chosen to elevate and to show extra respect to these people. Um, this is important because this is a point in time when the church can fragment, right? I talked to someone a while ago, and I said, oh, yeah, I pastor the church over here in Big Sandy. And they're like, I'm a Methodist. Oh, yes, I was raised a Methodist. I will always be a Methodist. All right. I, I'm a Christian. I, I, I mean, the division that exists within the body, there's some value to it today. Don't hear me say there's no purpose, right? They're just, there, there's some, like, it exists for a reason. It has come about for a reason. But to look at each other and say, we are not brothers. We are not together. We are separate. I am not a nose, therefore, you are not a part of my body. Right? What the soldiers and the poets and the dancers was about the perfect choice, right? Well, those guys are shallow. Well, those guys don't understand real words. Those guys aren't manly. They're not doing the right things. In reality, as the body, as the body, I, my job is to stand up and talk, Right? There are some folks who don't stand up and talk and would rather get a root canal than do what I do, right? But honestly, if you sit me down with a calculator, I, I, I'm still not able to do math, right? Both are valuable. I have a real knack for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. There are some people who can say the right thing no matter what situation they're in, Right? There are some people who are patient to no end, and I wish I was one of those people. There are some people who are te good at teaching small children, and I really, it's just not me. 
Each of us has a gift. Each of us has a purpose. And the division that could potentially have grown then is a division that is constantly threatening the church. They could become the Gentile church and the Jewish church. They could become two separate entities and grow in separate directions. And instead, the apostles saw what was happening and they said, we're going to raise these guys up. We're going to respect them. We're going to go above and beyond. And even more so, you're going to see as we get into the letter. Watch this. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization to disturb you, troubling your minds by what they said. All right. Troubling your minds. Oh, this is a fun word. Because it doesn't sound like that big a deal, right? It is one of those moments where the English translation really drops the ball. They troubled your minds. I am troubled over the cost of gas, right? Troubling your minds, the phrase used here, is the phrase used for raising and plundering. Raising, as in R-A-I-Z-I-N-G, burning down and plundering a town. In the ancient world, if you had an army, it was difficult to pay them all, right? This continues up into the medieval era. And so when you would attack a city and capture it, the way you would pay your soldiers is you would give them three or four days to kill as many people as they wanted and steal as much stuff as they wanted, and that's how you would pay your armies. That's what that word means. Burning down and plundering your minds. And so what the church has done is some folks who were a part of the church has gone down without our approval, and they have plundered. They have sacked your minds. They have created trouble for you. So we all agreed. No division, no separation, unity. We have all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So, real quick, they detour to show respect and praise to Barnabas and Paul. And then they go on to say, on top of these guys, we're sending our guys to confirm it. Um, They're laying it on thick. Right? Do you ever get in trouble with your wife and you look at her and you're like, she hasn't said anything yet. She just has that face. And you're like, let me begin my three-part apology, honey, by telling you how blessed I am to have you as a wife. How wonderful our years together have been. Except seriously, not like what I just did. They are putting it out there. They are raising these guys up. They're showing their respect. They're like, not, you know, you are our brothers and your guys who lead, led you are awesome. And anybody who has created problems for you, they are out there plundering and sacking and stealing from you. And they are not speaking on our behalf. And in order to demonstrate this, we are sending guys who are going to speak on our behalf. Even though we write it, we're writing it to you. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit And us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now watch this. He does not say 
here are the things you need to do in order to be believers. He says, we are not going to burden you, but here are some requirements we're going to ask. Everybody with me? There's a difference between laws and requirements. Or as I would suggest here, this is, guys, if we're going to be in community, this is what we need. Now watch this. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, meaning like eating blood in meat, um, from the meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. He does not say, do these things and you're going to hell. He doesn't say anything of the sort. Um, he says, you would do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Now, we talked about these real quite a bit last week. I'm going to kind of come back to them just briefly. And Or last week. It was like a month ago, wasn't it? In November, we talked about these more in depth. If you want to like really get into the the meat of the conversation. <laughs> you can go back and listen to that sermon. Um, but what he's saying here, like these four things, they are things that would prevent a Jewish man from eating at the same table with a non-Jewish person, right? So if I'm eating meat that I bought in the market that had been sacrificed to an idol, which no Gentile would care about because the best meat was sacrificed to idols, and it was cheaper. And so you'd go to the market, and without asking, you might not know where the meat came from. You just bought it, which is really troubling if you think about it. Um, but they would buy this meat, and they would eat it. And if a Jewish person's like, well, that was sacrificed to such and such idol, it's defiled, or it's been, you know, it's been desecrated, I can't eat with you. And so then the point is, this way you can fellowship with Jewish believers, Right? To give you, actually, it's not a great comparison. It is the comparison I keep coming back to in my mind. Um, I used to go to an allergy and asthma doctor in Great Falls. And amongst the things that I was told in the paperwork was, do not wear strong perfume to our office. Right? And I was wondering if my natural must counted. (laughs) But I made it a point to never wear cologne when I went there, because some people with allergies or asthma, when they're exposed to strong smelling scents like cologne or something like that, it can cause them breathing trouble, right? And so if I knew, let's say, that somebody in this church had trouble with that, I would not say, well, tough. I'm going to wear my Axe body spray anyway. Thanks for laughing at that. Like, apparently it's a young people joke because I, <laughs> I am going to wear, I'm going to take my bath in my cologne anyway, and that is your problem. Because anything that causes me to separate from someone else in the body is not their problem. It's our problem. Right? And so he says, listen, all of these things Avoid them because they create division. Now, sexual immorality is the one sticky part of the conversation. And that is because this particular phrasing has shifted and changed. It's not really clear exactly what's being talked about. It may be the case that this is marriage amongst close family members that was generally considered acceptable in Gentile circles, but maybe less so in non-Jewish circles. could also refer to temple prostitution. Who knows? Um, but really the emphasis at this time seems to be on ritual impurity versus being sexually immoral. 
Um, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. These are not laws. These are guidelines to be in relationship, right? Um, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here, and I'm still very embarrassed that I did this. Uh, I often make jokes that are off the cuff because I think they're funny. They're funny, right? And part of being funny is being fast. And I don't always think because I think this will be funny. Uh, Last New Year's Eve, when we were doing the New Year's Eve party, and Larry was in the hospital having just had heart surgery, was it Thanksgiving? I texted Ann and asked where the fire extinguisher in her house was. It was not funny. Because Ann called and was very upset with me. That sort of thing, I may think it's funny, but it, it damages fellowship, right? And I've apologized many times and beat myself up about it more than anybody else probably would. Although at the time, maybe Ann would have beat me to it. Um <laughs> Just because I think something is okay does not mean that it doesn't hurt or cause difficulty for the people around me, right? The idea here, and it's the idea that's being presented here, and I would argue that it's stacked on top of the other principle that's being presented in this letter, right? The idea is don't do things that are going to create difficulty. Instead, show honor to other believers. So Paul expands on this in his letters, and he says, listen, if you buy meat at the marketplace, don't ask where it came from and just eat it. Idols are nothing but pieces of wood. There is nothing done to meat by sacrificing them to idols. However, if somebody is stumbling in their faith because you're eating meat that came from the wrong place, don't eat it. Because it's better to be a vegetarian. It's better to never eat meat again than to cause somebody else to stumble. Honor the other person. If they're weak in their faith and can't manage your diet, change your diet. Because you need to honor the weak in faith and raise them up to grow the body of Christ. This is the entire opposite of America right now. Church America, right? This is, I am not playing, you know, a church America, oftentimes we take the attitude, I will not play on this team because I'm better than you, right? We church shop in America. We hunt around like, well, it's got to have the right programs. It's got to have the right this. It's got to have the right that. It's got to meet my needs. What the church is doing here and what we're seeing happening is not my needs, but your needs in an effort to glorify Christ. And this is the center of all Christian relationships. It is the guideline for all, like, like the way that we're supposed to interact with each other as believers. We are to be unified and operate in love in order to glorify Christ. Sometimes it means saying difficult things, right? Sometimes you've got to say tough things to people. And I am very blessed that I'm surrounded by people who will sit down with me and say, Eric, you said this. Maybe that was a mistake. Eric, maybe you should stop doing this thing. I think you're really putting people off. Eric, maybe you should not preach so long. Eric, you should stop apologizing while you preach. Eric, maybe you should preach longer. Eric, you should do this. Eric, but I would rather have people tell me I'm screwing up and love me and honor me enough to, in love, have a conversation with me. Because it's a part of showing honor, right? It's easy to talk behind someone's back. 
It's a sure sign I don't respect you if I won't talk to you. The body of Christ is called to live like this. To, in love, reach out and raise up. These are not laws. This is relationship. Any more than I don't count how many times I kiss my wife every day. Or actually, she doesn't count how many times she has to kiss me. It's probably more accurate, right? Honey, we've had the four kisses today. I, I believe you've used up your quota. You want more kissing? It's a tomorrow thing. In the same way as I don't say, hey, honey, we've been talking for five whole minutes. I feel like I've really done my job. Right? I would never do that because I love talking to my wife. And I talk more than she does. Um, I can't even talk for five minutes. I'm a 30, 45-minute guy. Um, By the way, there's another thing that's hidden in this letter that you don't see in English. It is just so cool. It is one sentence long. It is one sentence long because Jewish writing is not the same as Gentile Greek writing. If they had written in a more traditional Jewish style, it would have been a very different letter. And instead, the letter is written in a very compact, very carefully organized, single sentence. And in doing so, they were speaking the language of the people they were talking to. They were talking their language, right? Um, I, uh, I worked with... Years ago, I worked in a Mexican restaurant waiting tables, and there were these Pakistani guys that worked there, and there were, like, um, Indians, and we had a couple of these Afghanistanis, right? And the Afghanistani guys were so cool. I would talk to those guys all the time. I, I went and visited them at their houses, and we'd talk about history. They had fled Soviet like military oppression in their country, and we would talk about that. It was so neat. And one of the things I would respect about them is if you walked up and they were speaking their language, and I don't know what language they speak in Afghanistan. I'm so sorry. Um, If you walked up and they were speaking a different language, they would stop and they would talk to you in English and they would continue their conversation in English because that's showing honor. It's respectful. It's disrespectful to expect people to meet you on your level to expect people to talk your way or be your way, we change because we love you. And so this letter is even written in a style that shows honor to the recipients, that is outside of the norm for them. They had to put effort into that. And I don't think they would have missed it. And in fact, in 30 to 31, so the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad of its encouraging message. They would have gathered up and they would have read the letter publicly, which was a standard practice in the early church. When you read a letter, unless it's specifically to Timothy or to Philemon or whatever, it was read publicly and everybody heard it. And that's like kind of the idea. And so a lot of times you is not you, it's y'all. Or all y'all, because Greek has tenses for both, because it is an awesome language. Um, It's in Southern Europe anyway, (laughs) y'all. And so they did this, and they were encouraged by the message. And by the way, I would argue some of that encouragement is, you guys are a part of us. We don't expect you to take on a bunch of nonsense activities in order to be acceptable to Christ Because you are a part of us. You are brothers by merit of Christ. And beyond that, we're going to meet you most of the way. 
because we respect you and we want to be a part of you. The church in Jerusalem didn't have to do that. They did it because honoring Christ, having the attitude like Christ, was the point. Uh, 32 to 35, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets. By the way, they didn't send the C-string, right? They didn't say, we're too good for you people. We're not going to play. We're not on the same team because I'm better than you, right? This is a waste of my time. You don't tell me how to live. It's, we will share life with you. We will do this together. They were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. There's so much more stuff we could dig into here that we're not going to. I really wish I could do two sermons on this. I might yet. But, like, there's a timeline here, and Galatians 2 is all about this. And there's a point in time where Peter refuses to eat with the Gentiles in this church. And he eats with only the party of the circumcision because he's ashamed of being associated with the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out in a public setting. And, like, there's this whole honor-dishonor thing that happens. And, like, it is actually kind of awesome. It is a really neat story. But it is a neat story that demonstrates, honestly... It is a neat story that demonstrates that the fellowship and other aspects of connection between the two is paramount. It is the most important thing, and it should always move us in the direction of tighter relationship and harmony, right? We should always be willing to be open and humble and loving to each other because the body of Christ should never be divided. The body of Christ should never be fighting with itself. We should never look and say, you're probably a part of the toes, and I want nothing to do with that part, right? We are the body. And our arms should be reaching. We should be pulling each other closer and loving each other and being Christ to each other, speaking in each other's languages, walking together, encouraging each other. Honestly, it's part of the reason I try to talk about my own struggles of sin in front of you all on a regular basis, because I don't want anybody to look at me and say, Pastor Eric is better. Right? He's a pastor. He's holy. You know, until you get to know me and know I'm not. I, one of the other things that happened weird at the home I worked at, we had a guy who worked there who was a missionary from Kenya, and he was awesome. I wish I could have been half the guy he was. But he insisted everybody call me pastor. And I would tell people not to call me pastor. <laughs> like, oh, you know, Chaplain Eric or Pastor Eric. I'm like, no, just call me Eric. My name's Eric. You can just call me Eric. And people go, well, Eric, come here. No, he is your pastor. You call him pastor. Because it was honor and it was big in his culture. And I went along with it. Why? Because his culture isn't my culture and I meet him where he's at, not the other way around. Um, So as we jump into our concepts, what's behind all of this? Unity and relationship within the body are of fundamental importance for the church. If we are in conflict with each other, if somebody is driving me nuts, if somebody is offending me, it is my job to make it right. If I am offending someone else, it is my job to meet them in the middle and fix it. The church does not provide for us to live separately or live as enemies with each other. Gosh, it's hard, isn't it? 
because I want people to meet me all the way, right? When I steal cookies from the youth group, and I do, about it, I want to be able to fly by and grab cookies out of the bin and have nobody say a word about it because I'm Pastor Eric. In reality, I'm dishonoring them by taking something that ain't mine. You know, a conversation about this later we can. My job is to honor those people, right? And their job is to bake a couple extra just in case I need some. That was a joke. That was a joke. They don't owe me anything. My job is to honor them, to show them honor. In support of this effort, we are called to outdo each other in showing honor. It is the one area of competition we're allowed to have in the church. I am going to do better than you at honoring you. Could you imagine church meetings that went like that? Could you imagine conversations in the church that went like that? I don't like blue carpet. I like red. You know what? I could learn to like red. I do prefer blue, but you know what? I will figure out how to love you the way you are, and I will do what I have to do to meet you halfway. Wait a minute. You're not going to outdo me here. Let me figure out how to honor you more. Let's, <laughs> let me figure out how to love you more. Let me figure out how to go above and beyond more. Let me figure out what I need to do in order to show you honor, in order to show you respect, in order to raise you up and make you realize Jesus died for you. Right? You are worthy enough that Christ would shed his blood for you. And so... If he would forgive you, I need to forgive you. And if you are adopted as a son, or God, a son of God or a daughter of God, as a prince or princess in God's royal family, i got to treat you like that's true. Outdoing each other and showing honor, if I'm not mistaken, turns up in Romans 12. This is 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be lazy or slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, and I got Philippians, which is a much longer verse, but I feel like this really ties the whole thing together. Watch this. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. A lot of translations say count others as more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst you, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. By the way, the honor language in this, where he started out equal with God, a place of ultimate honor and regard and respect, and lowered himself, shamed himself 
in obedience to the Father and to die for your sins. And so God has raised him up and honored him above all other names so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means boss, by the way. We lose sight of that. Lord means boss, means you are the boss of me to the glory of God the Father. Um, The truth is that these things are central to the identity of the church, but in the modern church we struggle with it the most because to follow Christ means to step away from a consumer mindset, right? I don't like the music this week. I feel like they didn't do a good good enough job of catering to my spiritual needs. I am here to be served, like the Son of Man came, right? To be served, not to serve. Our job, our job, our job is to look around at our seniors, at our children, at our young parents, at our folks who are no longer young parents, at the people who are tired, at the people who are lonely, at the people who are poorer than us, at the people who are richer than us, and say, how do I honor this person How do I look at them the way Christ looks at them? Because I'm going to tell you, if you want reward in heaven, help someone to grow spiritually. Help somebody to mature and grow closer to Christ. And you will discover what it is to know Christ more intimately. There's power in that. That is the job of husbands, by the way. When it talks about Christ, like husbands love your wives like Christ loves the church. You know, we we often look at that and say, hey, wow, I get to be in this awesome place where I'm in charge, just like Jesus. No, it means your job is to outdo them in showing honor and to serve them and love them and help them grow spiritually and die for them a little bit every day and completely if possible. That's our job. That is the heart and mindset of the follower of Jesus. It's why Jesus said, it's why Jesus said, they will know my disciples by your love for one another, Right? So here's my question as we dive into application. Do people look at you and say, I know that person follows Jesus because of how they love the people around them, how they love the people in their church, how they love the people who are unlovable? I could pick out a handful of people in this room that I would apply that to. One of them is not me, unfortunately. I need to work harder and strive harder. And push myself to be more like Jesus because I'm anything but. And so don't hear me saying, look at how awesome I am. I want to be like Jesus more and more every day. When we see struggle or conflict in the works, we have to encourage unity. Meaning if we hear somebody complaining about the guy next to him or complaining about Eric in particular, which I'm sure never happens, complaining about, you know, Stephanie's kids. She's not even in here, is she? Um, or, or whatever, when you hear folks complaining, it isn't, let me throw my bucket of gas on your fire. It is, how do we, how do we love them? What's the best way to love them in this? If that ain't fun, gossip is fun. How do you love someone when they're unlovable? When you see conflict, when you see disunity, how do you show honor and love? How do you encourage showing honor and love? That doesn't mean we're doormats. It doesn't mean we let people act badly and step on us. It means that we raise each other up in order to help folks know Christ. We should do our best to honor each other. In our culture, this is a different meaning, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not important anymore. 
And to grow in Christ, we must pursue these truths. Like part of growing in Christ is emptying yourself so that Christ fills you. How do you empty yourself in relation to the people around you? How do you empty yourself in relation to to folks who drive you nuts? Here's a question. Do you pray for the people that you can't stand? I learned that is the key to it. If you really want to grow spiritually, figure out who you don't get along with. The people who make you grind your teeth at night and never stop praying for them. It is awful. But it's freeing. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that, crucifies our old selves. I'm going to finish up with a word of prayer. My challenge to you over and over and over again is, are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving the guy next to you? Are you loving the people around you in a way that shows them honor and grows the body? And if you're not, my prayer would be that you would be convicted and grow into that role. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be your people in this place. I pray that that you would help us to love our neighbors, love our brothers, love our sisters, that you would crucify our flesh, that we would learn to crucify our own flesh daily. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to honor people who we don't want to. And it's easy to honor folks who we look up to, but it's so much harder to find ways to encourage people in their spiritual growth. It's so much harder to set aside our own wants or desires or ambitions or preferences in order to glorify other folks. And I pray, Lord God, that you would would give us mercy in this area and fill us with your spirit. Help us to be like the church. Help us to be unified and continue to glorify you. And when folks look at us, Lord, I pray that you would Make us the kind of people that they look and say, I know those folks follow Jesus because of how they love one another and how they love the people around them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good day.